Hi, I'm iChurch. Hi, I'm May Church. Our church stands for Intentional Church. Me Church stands for me. Are you excited about the new Kids World that's coming in September? Of course I'm excited. I'm just concerned that we may be departing from biblical ecclesiology. Nowhere do we find that children's ministry is supposed to be enjoyable. You're just afraid to have fun? Kids World is all about teaching God's Word and having fun. I have plenty of fun. Just the other day, I helped my dad parse three Greek words from the book of Philemon. Boy, did we have a blast. Sorry, I missed that. Isn't my daughter unbelievable? <laughs> yeah, just like you. Oh, that's off the charts good, isn't it? Are you glad to be in, in Messiah today? Isn't this been great? I'm telling you. It's cloudy outside and, and you know, kind of one of those downer weather days, but it's so nice being in here. And, and, and man, all the worship service is great. And, and you know, we started with Southern Gospel and wound up with Starfield. That's, that's really, you got to like something here today. And, and I was teasing Lance about his guitar. I like this kind of cream colored guitar, don't you? I said, you know, B.B. King had Lucille, and, and Eric Clapton had Blackie. Lance has got banana pudding, so we're just going <laughs> to... We're going to dub that guitar banana pudding. Well, our series is Intentional Life. And uh, from the very beginning, I knew that today's message was going to present me a singular challenge. Because, to be honest with you, I've been giving you the eight keys about living life in the zone. But to be honest, today's key is is more about what you do with the first seven. So with that in mind, let's take a little moment to just review what we've talked about already. We've talked about getting our lives in the zone, to, to reach this zone of greatest blessing, where God is free to bless us with the, mag, the, 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 the maximum blessing that he wants to bless you with. Many of us don't live lives of blessing, and God wants to bless us, but it's just that we have things wrong. And I don't mean by that that if you do something wrong, God's going to punish you, for doing wrong, obviously there is that element of chastisement in our lives, but the truth of the matter is for many of us, the reason why things are not going well for us on a consistent basis is they're just elements that aren't working in our lives. And if we get those right, if we get these seven keys that we've talked about up till now, it will help us get life in the zone. There's a historical precedent for this, and that's where we've been working for the last seven weeks. It's all about the Israelites going into the promised land. <clears throat> now, even if you... <clears throat> may not be a real strong student of the Bible, you, you at least know about the nation Israel. It exists today. What you might not know is that God promised them that land thousands of years ago, and he made this promise to Moses. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God said to Moses, I'm going to get you out, and I'm going to take you to a land <clears throat> that will be an awesome place to live. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to live in, you're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. And it's the land, the Bible metaphor was it was a land that flowed with milk and honey, which just simply means it was a land of greatness. It would be like taking somebody out of a third world country and bringing them to America, as it is today. But Moses never got to see that land. Neither did the three and a half million people or some of the three and a half million people that went with Moses. God did great things for them. <clears throat> he opened the Red Sea. Before that, actually, he had sent plagues. You know, Pharaoh didn't want to let the Israelites go. They were a slave labor force, and God had to make him a deal he couldn't refuse. 
And he made him 10 deals. And finally, on the final one, Pharaoh said, okay, I'm going to let you go because all the firstborn of, of Egypt died if they didn't have the blood on the doorpost. And, and they said, Pharaoh said, okay, go, 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 take our jewels, whatever, just get out of here. We don't want any more of your God. And the Israelites are cooking, you know, they get to the Red Sea and they can't get across. And God opens it miraculously. They get over into this wilderness area, which is kind of a buffer zone between where they were in Egypt and the promised land. And they, you know, they make the trip. They're just days away from going into the promised land. And as I've told you time, and I know you're tired of hearing me say this, but at this moment of destiny, when they were right at the border of Canaan, when they were just right up close to the place where God wanted them to be, they choked. And I've got to tell you this, and I don't think I've told you this until right now. One of the greatest testing points for you and for me will be right as we get to the border. I've discovered in my life, the closer I get to the zone, the more the opposition will be. And the greater that, you know, Satan will put bigger stuff on the table. He'll, he'll have bigger boogeymen and he'll have, you know, he'll, be, he'll have bigger carrots to get you to do what, you know, to stop short. The greatest test will be right before you get to your point of destiny. And, and I may be talking to somebody here today and you've either A, given up right when you got close. You can look back on a situation in your life and you choked when you got close, or B, maybe you're getting close right now, and you're saying, Mark, I think I'm really right where God wants me to be, but stuff is just going nuts on me. You know, don't think that's abnormal. That's not, that's not strange. Just as you have a God who is for you, you have an enemy who's against you. And the closer you get to God's zone of perfect blessing, the hotter the opposition, the bigger the carrots will be. And that's what happened to the Israelites. They got right to the border of Canaan. They were just about to go across the land. They sent 12 spies over. They saw that the land was great. You know, it was everything God said it was. But they got over there, and there were some big guys over there. And they said, we're going to go over there and get killed. And 10 of the spies came back and said, we don't want to go over there. You know, it's, and the thing that gets me, church, I don't, I don't want to get into this today. But, you know, those 10 guys that came back and choked, was, was it like they had a plan? I mean, seriously. I mean, was it like they knew what to do? Isn't it funny that all some people can do is find fault with God's plan? I mean, they don't, they don't have a clue. I mean, just clueless. It's not like they have some plan B that's just really, they said, we can't go over there. Well, what was that going to mean? Well, what it did mean was they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. They're in a desert. And if God hadn't kept me, you know, here's the thing. And, and I, again, I know you have to understand, I'm closing out this series today. And there's so much left on the table that I want to tell you. And so that's kind of seeping through here. So I apologize for that. But it's just it's so important to me. You, you think about these guys. They said, if we go over there, we're going to get killed. Had they ever thought about what was going to happen to them if they stayed in the wilderness? They were going to starve to death. Had God not given them manna from heaven and water from rocks, they would have died. They said, if we do what God wants us to do, we're going to die. And yet, their plan was sure death. Anyway, that's just life. Just want you to remember, if God has a plan for you, key number one, step up to the mic. Just say, God, I'm here. I want to show up. I want to do what you asked me to do. That was step number one. Number two was turn it up. As soon as you determine to do what God wants you to do, you know, when you, when you bite off a God-sized destiny because God has, has promised it to you and called you to center stage and whatever it is, the next thing is you want to get around encouragers and you want to be an encourager. There was a climate of radical encouragement. God said to Joshua, be courageous. Joshua said to the people, be courageous. They said to him, you be courageous. So it was very much the antitype for what went on when they choked 38 years before. Because they were discouraging each other. They were saying, oh, we can't do this. And they got together and they clicked and they went to Brahms and they went, you know, went out to Ryan's and said, man, we can't do this. And went, this is going to just be a downer. And not that I'm against Brahms or Ryan's. I like both those places. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we just sort of say, whoa, man, it's not going to work. And they did that. But not this generation. 
This generation, instead of discouraging each other, they encouraged each other. They built each other up. They said, we're going to do this. So that's number two. Uh, turn it up. Create climates of radical encouragement. Then we said, number three, that when you sync up with God and you're acting out God's destiny in your life, you're following God's will, and you're surrounding yourself with people who want to follow God's will, that when God begins to work in your life, the, sum, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Your influence goes off the chart because it's not you anymore. It's not just you. It's what God is doing through you, the power of buzz. We saw that with the story of Rahab. And then there's always that moment when you're going to have to take a step forward and God hasn't resolved all the issues. You know, uh, on my 50th birthday, I spent some time, we went out to eat with Mary Alice and I with, with two of the closest friends we have in the world, Billy and Sherry Poor. And when we got through, we were, just, we were out on the sidewalk at, at the restaurant, and Billy and I just began to talk about the relocation project and how many times it was impossible. And we talked about how many times we were scared to death, and we didn't know the answer. We just knew it was God's destiny. But you know what? In strategic times, the great thing about this church, we put, we put our foot in the water, and the rest is history. You know, where you are right here today, and it's an awesome place. There's no doubt about it. Not a more prime spot for a church in this whole region than where you're sitting right now. I just want you to know that was God's destiny. There was a climate of encouragement, and there, was a, there were moments when we had to put our foot in the water and take the first step, and God took care of all the rest of it. Then, when God does take care of things, and you begin to see God work in your life, and here's the thing, even before you reach the point of ultimate destiny, God will just begin to do stuff. Good things will happen. There'll be little encouragement things that God just, you know, he's just, he's just putting a miracle in your life. When that happens, take time to celebrate. I, I, talked, I, I preached a sermon about that, and, and I, I'm just so excited about what some of you have done. You know, I, I encourage you to create a box of, of memories when God does something in your life, some, some little memento to put in your box. And I have heard so many cool stories. Uh, one, one family in our church calls it a miracle box. They have a miracle box, and they're just putting little mementos or ideas. There was, I got this great email about a family that uh, got, almost got into a terrible accident over here on the highway. It, it was raining. The car spun out of control, and they wound up on the side of the road, and God spared their lives. And they took some of the soil and some of the grass from where their car rested and put it in their box to remember that God spared their lives. So take time to celebrate. Remember what God has done. And then you're going to have setbacks. Remember this, you know, just because you're in God's will doesn't mean everything's going to go swimmingly. Something, somebody will lose the vision or something will go wrong. And when that happens, you can't sit there and cry. You have to get back up and keep moving. And then finally, last week on, 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 on step number seven, we saw that it's possible to age without getting old. You know, if you're in the zone, you stay there. But don't, don't, don't just find some soft place to sit and rest. You want to keep reaching for the things that mattered to you when your body was young. So those are the seven, six, uh, the seven steps that we covered up to this point. But now we come to the eighth. And as I said, it's a little bit of a challenge. Because it comes down to this. If you get your life in the zone, and you're at the point of greatest blessing, the only way that your life will make a difference is if you find some way to pass on what you've learned and what God has done in your life and the things that you're about to the next generation. If, if God blesses you and you live your life with the promises and the blessings of God and you don't find some way to pass it on to the next generation, it'll be a tragedy. Let me give you this. There's a great deal of difference between having a day in the sun and leaving a legacy. I know of churches all over this country that have had a day in the sun. There was a time when they were well-known, they were effective, they were reaching people, but if you drove on their parking lots today, they don't exist anymore. That church didn't leave a legacy. They just had a day in the sun. 
I know of Christian people who have, you know, God has blessed them, and they've, they've been successful. But when they died, that's it. They don't have any legacy. There's nothing behind them. So what I want to challenge you this morning is to think about the fact that if you get your life in the zone, you don't want to just have a day in the sun. You want to leave a legacy. And the only way, listen to me, this is so important, especially for those of you who are around my age and a little older. The only way for you to leave a legacy is for you to touch the next generation, for you to sync up with the next generation. And, and I hope you don't get, I hope you don't take, uh, let me just put this on me so that nobody gets offended, okay? If I don't sync up with the next generation and make a difference for the next generation, my life probably doesn't matter very much. If I don't influence positively the next generation, it's just like pouring water on desert sand. It's there, it dries up, it's gone. If I don't make a difference on the next generation, my life is basically pointless. This church... I've had the joy of serving it for 21 years, and I love it. There's no way for me to tell you how much I love this church. I think if you know me, you know that. This life, my life is this church. I've never wanted to go anyplace else. I've never, when opportunities would come to go to bigger churches, other places, I've never even remotely considered them because my life is this church. I'm a Texan, but I love this city. I can't explain why sometimes, but I absolutely love this city. I, I love Kansas. You know, wherever I go, I look out that airplane window, we come into McConnell, and I look at that chessboard, you know, a checkerboard of all the fields and everything, and I look out and I say, I'm home. I don't know why I love this place like I do, but I, I love it with all my heart. But could I say this? If this church doesn't reach the next generation, it probably won't matter a whole lot. You say, well, we, 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 reach, missionary, we reach people all around the world with missionaries. Let me tell you something. If we don't reach the next generation, we really don't matter a whole lot. Because it's, it's legacy that matters. Someone has said, and, and they were talking about religious and Christian organizations, most of the time it starts with a man, which becomes a movement, which becomes a machine, which becomes a monument. And if you've ever watched, and maybe this is true in business too, but oftentimes one man will start with the vision, and from that vision will come a movement. And then after a while, the machine is there to support the size and girth of the movement. But after a while, it stops being about the passionate things that it began with, and it becomes a monument, and then it's over. A monument is a gravestone, by the way. And so all I'm telling you this morning is we want to leave a legacy. We don't want to just have a day in the sun. We're not looking for just a soft, warm place to sit down and die and veg. We want to make a difference for the next generation. And if you, if you look at what's going on in this church and you say, well, Mark, what's it all about? Let me tell you, it's all about legacy. It's all about our generation touching the next generation. And like I talked to you about in the series G2 that I preached about almost two years ago, Whoever you are, there's a generation that came before you and there's a generation that comes after you. I know in this morning early service, a lot of you, there's, there are teens. But let me tell you what, there's a generation before you and there's a generation after you. It's very important for us to sync up with both of those on both sides of us. Well, with that in mind, let me give you the message. It's real simple, just one point. If you want to leave a legacy, you've got to communicate what you're about. Because what's made a difference in your life will make a difference in other people's lives. Don't try to communicate your style because style changes. You want to communicate the things that don't change. What is it that you are about? Because what you're about, what changed your life, will change other people's lives. Here's Joshua. He's coming to the end of his life. We're now in chapters 23 and 24 at the very end of the book. Now, Joshua is much older than just about everybody else. Remember, he was 40 when they came to that moment of destiny. 
The people choked. He wound up spending almost 40 years in the wilderness. That means he was 80 when they got into the land. They've taken the land. They've, they now possess the land. Things are great. They're living the life of their dreams. They're living in the zone. I'm telling you, Joshua's got to be a really old man. And as we, if God killed everybody, you know, over the age of 20 and they wander in the wilderness, there's a gap between Joshua and even the next oldest generation. If he's, you know, if he's a, if he's 100, then the, the next oldest person other than Caleb has to be 80 years old. So uh, he's now going to talk to the future generations, and he knows he's going to die in a short time, and he's very, very concerned about leaving this legacy. Now, what was Joshua about? What was the one thing that his whole life was about? What had made a difference in his life? It was simply this. If, if, you, if you look at the terminology, it would just be serve God, serve God. That was everything he was about. Okay, now, I want to break that down because somebody will say, well, man, that sounds like church talk. What does it mean to serve God? Because a lot of you, you've been in church all your life, and you've heard lots of stuff about serving God. But to be honest, if you got right down to it, you really couldn't tell somebody what it means to serve God. You say, well, it means read your Bible and pray, and, oh, and yeah, it does that. But what does it mean to serve God? Uh, <laughs> several years ago, Bob Dylan got kind of involved in Christianity. I'm not really sure what his connection is. You know, it's kind of hard to, to find out what Dylan really thinks or believes. But he, he, he made some sort of profession of Christianity. And some of you can remember back, I think in 79, he, he, he issued an album called Slow Train Coming. And in Slow Train Coming, the song that was probably the biggest hit of all from, the whole, from, from Dylan's whole album was a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And that's right. By that, I mean you've got to orient your life around certain values and certain, certain teachings. Your life, if you look at how you live your life, your life is oriented around something. If it's oriented around, you know, if it's oriented around the American dream, then you're serving the American dream. If your life is oriented around sex, and a lot of people's lives are oriented around sex today, either through pornography and, or, you know, multiple sex partners or homosexuality or whatever, for, for many people, they, 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 they go to work and whatever, but that's what their life is oriented around. It's oriented around sex. And if that's the case, don't, don't, you know, don't try to hide it. That's what you're serving. You're serving that. Uh, for some of us, our lives are oriented around pleasing people. And you try to please everybody in your life. And even though you may call yourself a Christian, if, if that's what motivates you, you're serving people. I'm asking you to think about this today. Just like Bob Dylan said in his song, you've got to serve somebody. You're orienting your life around something. Something is driving your train. Something is making your decisions for you. When you get into your life and you begin to look at what's making your decisions for you, you know what you're serving. You know who you're serving. And Joshua had been about serving God. All of his life, his life had been oriented around the teachings of God and the promises of God. That's why he came back as a spy and said, let's go take the land. His life was oriented around God. That's why he was, you know, all these seven steps that we've talked about, that's why Joshua was synced up was because his life was oriented around God. And beyond that, Joshua had heard the message of God years before when God came to Moses and said this, someday you're going to get into a land with houses you didn't build and, and vineyards that you didn't plant, and you're going to enjoy life at the best. And God said, here's the, th here's the deal. When you get over there, if you forget me, God said, if you forget me and you begin to serve other gods, God said to Joshua and to Moses, I'm going to treat you the way I treated all those people that you've defeated. But he said, if you serve me, I will bless you indefinitely. 
In effect, here's what he said. God was saying, if you will continue to orient your life around my promises and my word and my values, God is saying, you can live in the zone forever. So what do you think Joshua's thinking about? I mean, he's got one thing on his mind. He's got to sync up with the next generations. He knows what's made a difference in his life. He's not trying to tell them what color to paint their houses. He's not trying to tell them what kind of music to listen to. He's not trying to tell them anything. He's just saying, listen, if you want to live in the zone, serve God. Very important. With that in mind, let me point out the difference between chapters 23 and 24. In 23, Joshua is making a speech about serving God. In 24, he's making a speech about serving God. What, what, what takes a little bit more attention here is to realize that he's talking to two different crowds. In 23, chapter 23, he is talking to the leaders. And he is saying to them, and I'll read this. This is in 23, 14. Soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has felt. He is pleading with them on this basis to serve God. Now, here's the thing. All of you, I'm assuming all of you want to have an influence on future generations. Is that, is that a good assumption to make? I mean, are, are you with me today? Do, you, do, you, do you, want to make, you want to make a difference in the lives of other people? Here's what you and I have to understand is we can't necessarily influence everybody around us. The key is to influence the influencers. If you can influence the influencers, then you can make a maximum difference in future generations. Um, I, I'm discovering that in my own life. You know, you only have so much of yourself to go around. And if you try to make a difference in everybody's life on a one-by-one -one basis, you're going you're gonna to wind up investing a lot of your time and energy that's going to be on a dead-end street. And I'm not being hard or cold about this. I'm just saying it's very important to influence the influencers. So before Joshua talks to the whole congregation, he calls the leaders together. There's a guy by the name of Malcolm Gladwell who was the London School of Economics, and he wrote a book that a lot, of, a lot of you may have read if you're in business circles. It's called Tipping Point. Tipping Point is about social epidemics. It's about things that just, you know, it, it's, it's when something unique becomes common. For instance, a few years before, I mean, if you go back to the late 70s, who would have even thought about having a computer in your home? But today, we almost all have computers in our homes. Some of you have a laptop in your car. Some of you have a, you know, you have a little personal computer, you know, in your hand. And, and, and you may be using that right now while you're here in service. <laughs> By the way, we're, we're in our, we have a series called Glimpse coming up. It's all about the future and prophecy. And one of the sermons, you'll actually be able to ask me questions during the sermon. If you, and so you can bring your little PDA and email. And Lance will be up here and he'll take your questions and give it to me. I mean, we live in a, we live in a different world, don't we? I mean... That's the world we live in. But now here's the thing. If you want to make it, oh, going back to Malcolm Gladwell for just a moment. When, when he wrote his book, Tipping Point, about social epidemics, and, and his concept of tipping point is this, that, that, you know, there's a great idea, but it's kind of not known by very many people, like computers I was just using as an illustration. He said there's a point at which it tips, and you can't stop it. It's going to become an epidemic. You know, you can't, you can't fight against it. You can't push against it. And so he has several laws of what it takes for some, some, some point of our culture to become a tipping point. And one of his, actually the very first law of Glabel's book is that if you want to make a huge difference and you want to see a tipping point occur where something becomes a social phenomenon that can't be stopped, he gives us the law of the few. He said there are always a few people whose influence is disproportionate. They have a disproportionately positive influence in the culture. And Glabel's just syncing up with something that Joshua knew, you know, a couple thousand, three thousand years ago. 
If you want to make a big difference, influence the influencers. And in, in Glabel's book, he also points out you know, so there are three kinds of people that you want, to, you, want to, you want to influence. He called one group mavens. He said these are the people that have great capability to understand systems and minutia and detail. But they don't get bogged down in that. They still see the big picture. And then he talked about people who are networkers. These are people that, that they, they can just make friends and they can influence a lot of people. And then there were salesmen or communicators, people who have, a, who have the ability to, to, to communicate change and influence people by their, by their communication skills. And he's saying influence those people and it can become a tipping point. I really believe we need that in American Christianity today. You know, some of you are like that. And I don't know, you know, I don't know you real well, but you're just great with, with analytical stuff. You're great with technical stuff. And, and you'd be great to help us in our technical ministry here. But even though, even though you get, you know, you, even though you love technical stuff, you don't get bogged down in it. You still see the big picture. You can help us change the world. And some of you, you know, you just people like you. Wherever you go, you just make friends and people like to be around you. And, 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 and you're, you know, when, we, when, we, when God is doing something great here, you're a great person to go into the community and say, hey, you ought to see what God is doing in our church. You can tell your friends about it. And some of you, you're just great with communication skills. And my goal is to influence you. And, and, and as you have something that's working in your life, you want to influence the influencers in your life. And Joshua did. Now, I do find it interesting what he used, the tool that he used to influence the influencers. Joshua said to them, you know what? Everything God has promised has come true. Now, notice he's not trying to twist anybody's arm to serve the Lord. You're going to see that throughout. Joshua's not going to get up and beat people over the head with a 64-pound Schofield Bible. He's not going to do that. He's just going to reason with them. And the leaders, the elders, the influencers... He said, you know, I want, I want to encourage you to serve God. But he says, one thing I want to tell you. Before you make your decision whether or not you're going to serve the Lord, just remember this, that everything God has promised us has come true. There's, I love this in the NLT. He said to the elders, you know deep in your heart that everything God has promised has come true. I just caught some of you right there because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Before I get it out of my mouth, you know what I'm going to say. When I was a 20-year-old pastor, I knew that all God's promises would come true. I knew it theologically. Today I know it experientially. I know it deep in my heart now. I knew it theoretically. I knew it growing up in church. I, I heard that God keeps his promises. But now at 50, I can tell you I know it deep in my heart. You want to tell me, you want to give me the choice of whether to orient my life around God or orient my life around the things of this world? I got to tell you, it is a compelling thing to use on me just to remind me, hey, Mark, you know, before you, you know, like, like Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody before you make your choice. Just remember this. Everything God has promised you has come true. Could I ask you a question this morning? You know, when we talk about serving other gods and bowing down, I mean, we don't build stones and stuff like that. And beyond that, even when the people in the Bible, when they, when they bowed down and worshiped the idols, it wasn't they thought those idols had some kind of power. Really, they were worshiping whatever was behind the idol. If the idol promised sex, they were really worshiping sex. And the people knew it at the time. But could I just ask you a question? When you think about the other gods, small g of this world, sports, sex, power, money, prestige, education... When you think about the other gods that people, people, people worship, could I ask you a question? All the things that those things have promised you, have they come true? 
I mean, I, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I got to tell you what, Cowboys have left me with a lot of broken promises. You know, I'm like you. I'm an American. I like stuff. I like things. I watch television. I see the commercials, but could I ask you a question? All the stuff they promise you on the commercials, does that come true? Did you really get happy when you got that new car? Did that new house really, did it really solve all your issues? I'm just asking a question. You see, Joshua's talking to the influencers here. These are, as Gladwell said, these are the mavens. These are the communicators. These are the networkers. These are people that have the power to influence everybody else. And Joshua's knowing, man, they're living the easy life now. They're living the American dream. They're living in the big houses and driving the BMWs. And it's real easy when you get to that point to forget God. And Joshua's saying, I know you're being pulled here. I know the culture is pulling you to orient your life around something else. But he said, I just want to ask you before you make up your mind. Isn't it true that God has kept all of his promises to us? If you're going to hitch your wagon to a star today, I want to encourage you to hitch your wagon to God's star because God will always keep his promises. And it may require that from time to time you have to take, as the poet said, the road less taken. It may mean that sometimes people are going to make fun of you and laugh at you and call you a fool for the choices that you orient your life around. I love what Joshua said. He said, you know, it's up to you. I'm about to die. I'm going to leave this place. Just want to ask you guys a question, you leaders, you men and women who are, who are making the difference, you influencers who are influencing other people, just want to ask you a question before you make up your mind how you're going to orient your life. Isn't it true that God has always kept his promises to us? He said, deep in your heart, you know he has kept every one. I would, I would love to just stay here. I, I promise you, this is what I'd love to preach this morning. But I've got to give you one more thing. In chapter 24, it's not the leaders anymore. It's the whole group. He calls together the whole nation. And he tells them that he's going to die and he's not going to live much longer, but he's passionate about the same thing. He wants them to serve God. He wants them to orient their lives around God. And with the whole crowd, and he's not with the influencers anymore, he's got everybody. With the whole crowd, he takes a different approach. And I want you to see it. Let's read it together. Joshua 24, verse 15. But if you, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, I love how Joshua does this. Now, again, remember, he's not beating people over the head with a big Bible. He's not yelling and screaming at them. He's just saying, hey... I'm going to tell you what I'm about. This is what has motivated my life. I want to give you a chance to make the same decision. But I like this. He just said, you know what? <clears throat> it, might not, it might not seem like a good idea for you to serve God. He said that to the people. You know, many times what happens, and I think one of the things that w- w- goes wrong with many of us parents, we sort of like try to cram truth into our kids. And, and often that's counterproductive. Joshua's just making the case here. He's not trying to cram anything in anybody's. He's not trying to force them into He knows he can't force them to serve God. But he said, okay, it's going to come down to a choice, and you've got to think about this. Maybe it's not. I love, I, love the, I love the reverse psychology here. He said, maybe it's not a good idea to serve God. And if it's not a good idea to serve God, then you, you don't want to do it. Maybe you want to serve somebody else. He said, maybe it's the gods that we serve when we were back in Egypt. Well, I mean... Like I say, reverse psychology. What did they have when they were in Egypt? They were slaves. They were being whipped. They didn't have any food. They were destitute. They had no future. And Joshua said, maybe that seems like a good idea for you. (laughs) 
Could I ask you a question? I mean, some of you, before you accepted Christ, I mean, you know, you were a long way away. I mean, you, you know, you, you just you think about the way your life was. Maybe, is that a good idea? And Joshua was saying that to the people. He's saying, maybe you don't think it's a good idea to serve God. Then he said, well, if you don't like the gods, you know, on the other side of the Euphrates, maybe you like the gods of the people in the land that you're living right now, the gods of the Amorites. Well, that didn't sound too smart because, after all, the Israelites now lived in their land due to their god. Would it be smart to serve the gods of the people who were defeated? But Joshua just said, maybe, maybe it seems like a good idea for you to, to serve those gods. Maybe it's a bad thing for you to serve God. Think it through. Joshua said, though, but as for me and my house, and what I left out, forgive me for breaking this in, what I left out, he had just given them the history of what God had done for them. He said, as for me and my house, it makes sense to orient our lives around God. That's how I feel today. You know, people, I, 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 I circulate in a lot of strange circles that you might find interesting. You know, like I said, I find myself sometimes speaking at secular colleges, and I don't try to cram God's word around them. I just, into their minds, I just say, this is what I'm about. This is, you know, after I've looked at everything on balance, it just makes sense for me to orient my life around God, to serve him. And that's what we want to say in our church. We want future generations to know it just makes sense to serve God. It makes sense to orient our lives around God. I want to say that to you this morning because some of you are not serving God. I'm not trying to throw anything at you. I'm just saying you got your lives oriented around all kinds of stuff. It makes sense to orient your life around God because all his promises come true. God always comes through. And the, the gods of this world are all defeated. Why would you want to serve a defeated God? Serve God. Make a difference. I don't know where this message is going to touch you. For some of you, it'll be just like I said. You know your life is not oriented around God, and you're going to want to make that change today. For some of you, you know, you can see the years creeping up, and you're beginning to think today about leaving a legacy. Never forget, there's a lot of difference between a day in the sun and a legacy. A legacy means you connect. I want to challenge you to do that today.